0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start off by praising Pastor David. The way he is teaching you guys, I realize he's not a name-it-and-claim-it pastor because this week would be filled. No one gets the joke. Nothing? No laughs. All right. All right. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. All right. My text for today will land on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'll also be using select text to take us there. While you open your Bibles, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for the truth that we we glean from reading your Word, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I have, Lord, to to come here to to teach what I have learned, Lord, to 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 magnify your truth, to magnify in this text your gospel, Lord, to show who we were without you, Lord, to what you have allowed us to become through your grace for our faith, Lord. So, Lord, I pray as we are going through Scripture, as we are going through your Word, Lord, that, that we go with an open heart, Lord, that we go with ears that are intent to hear, Lord, that we go with with no distractions of life, Lord, that we are present in this moment, that we are here to worship and glorify you. So, Lord, please... Be with us this time in these things we pray through your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So I'm going to begin with a story a few years back. Uh, my brother-in-law and I, Brandon Brummett, we were in Bogota, Colombia. And as we were preaching the gospel, it became known that we were more of a reformed background and less of an Armenian background. And for those who don't understand that, the difference is in Armenian background, it is saved by your choice. They chose to follow the Lord. So it became a joke. Why were reformers there who, who obviously believe in election, why were we there preaching the gospel if God has already chosen? So thinking about the text, thinking about that experience, I, I come to the realization that they're misunderstanding. I don't, I don't necessarily take them away as unbelievers, but they're misunderstanding the word of God. So the question should not have been, why did we find the need to share the gospel if it's already been chosen for his elect? The question that should have been answered is, what does the Bible teach us to why we should share the gospel even though God has chosen his elect? They did not understand from Scripture that the gospel, which is proclaiming the good news, the only is the only way to salvation, understanding man's sinful nature, the work of Christ through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The Apostle Paul understood this as we read Romans 1, 14-16. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, In this way for my part I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The word obligation in this text it's it's used to, to show a duty that is given but he's saying that he is not under under obligation to Jews, he's not under obligation to the Gentiles, but what we're, what we're seeing is he is obligated to service of Christ, the calling that he had received. He did not take the service lightly. He was kingdom focused while remaining devoted to his calling until the time comes for him to be with the Lord. So, knowing that the gospel needs to be explained, it's expounded. It needs to be spoken. Where do we see that? An example is Romans ten thirteen through 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So that, that shows, if you, if you go through that text backwards, it begins with the hearing of the Word. And then, those who listen, believe, and come to faith in Christ. The Gospel must be proclaimed. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul was well aware of this task given by Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4 and verse 9, we read that the necessity to speak and proclaim was not only for man but to be pleasing to God in sharing His truths, and to do so with boldness. Acts 20, 24 But I do not make my life of any account, nor dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Nowhere do we read that our testimonies are the means to bring people to Christ. It's missing the fundamental action of proclaiming the gospel. This goes against what is commanded in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20 Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are a church of mentors and disciples. We realize that we need to come together into, to verbalize the gospel. We need to verbalize the word of God to edify one another. And Paul spoke often about sharing the gospel. Not only did he speak about the gospel, he spoke a warning against listening, hearing a false gospel and the preaching of false gospels. In 2 Corinthians eleven three 3-4, we read, But I fear that, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you do not receive, or a different gospel which you do not accept, you hear this beautifully... Satan will use these false teachers to corrupt the true gospel message. And we learn of those who have been deceived as we read Galatians 1, 6. I marvel that you were so quickly deserting him who calls you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel of those who had been deceived by the corrupt gospel. I pray that as we walk through the scriptures, we understand the necessity to proclaim the gospel for salvation. We'll now go to our text in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where we'll go over three points that teach you of our condition before Christ, which is our old self, the gift of grace that has been given to us, and the purpose of our gift of grace. Let us read the passage together and then break it down. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your transgression, transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them." So, my first point, our condition before Christ. And these will be verses 1 through 3. In order to understand the gospel and our need for a savior, we must first understand our sin nature. Verse 1 reads, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The and you is a conjunction to connect what was written earlier. We learn in chapter 1 1 that Paul is writing to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. We then read, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Reading the, the passage in context, we know that this death is not a physical death, but is a spiritual death. This is the depravity of man. Spiritually dead and separated from Christ. In spiritual death, you cannot be in a relationship with God. In our transgressions and spe- uh, sins, I'm sorry, speaks of chosen path traveled in which a person sins willfully. Sin is a word that means missed the mark. In spiritual death, you are separated from God, and before receiving God's saving grace, man is unaware of this need for Christ. This is clear as we continue to read, verse two in which you formally walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We, be, we begin to see the contrast of what's to come as Paul, as Paul speaks of how the Ephesians formally walked before Christ. They walked by the way of the world. This would be how the people in Ephesus lived in the culture and time that they were in. Ephesus was a land where people followed false gods. They were listening to false teachers. They had a temple for a goddess, Artemis. They had a lot of sorcery. They had magicians. So as Paul was there, as Paul was teaching them, he he took people away just by the proclaiming of a word. And in doing so, There was a a, a part of their economy. There were silversmiths who would go and make shrines to the temple or the goddess Artemis. Them preaching, Paul, I'm sorry, preaching the gospel took away what they were making because people were no longer looking to get those shrines. So then as we read, I'll let you read through it. I can't go deep into it. If you read Acts 19, 23 through 41, you'll see how the silversmiths, gathered others who were in the same trade, where they were going after Paul and after his his travel mates because they were trying to stop them so they can continue to grow in their wealth from sin. And according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience is a reference to Satan, who we learned uses unbelievers and holds them captive in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. Reads, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. As unregenerate, we lived in disobedience. The sons of disobedience not only lived in unbelief, but also in defiance towards God. There are two types of people in the world, those who are believers and live to serve God, and those who are dead spiritually, who are used by Satan for his will. We as believers have been released of His grasp because of the power of Christ and know that God will have His victory over Satan. John twelve thirty one reads, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the rule of the world will be cast out. So we have that hope as believers, knowing that Satan will not overcome Christ. As we continue in verse 3, we see that without Christ, man walked according to the lust of his flesh. Doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The lust of our flesh includes the lust of eyes, the pride of life, and the lust for self pleasure. That can be anything that takes us away from the Lord. It can be your cell phone, it can be your video games, it can be wanting to hang out with your friends more so than being with the Lord and the Word. The word desire can be used for good and bad desires. It depends on the object associated with the desire. In this context, the desire is a sinful desire, which leads us to be children of wrath. The wrath that we deserved was due to the sins of Adam. But we won't have time to dive into it, but you can study by reading Romans 5, 12 through 21. And that will show you that our sins are due to Adam's sins. And we have, we have taken those on. As children of wrath, we are owed death, as we learn in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Before we were saved, we were headed to God's wrath. But through Christ, we have been redeemed. My second point, the grace that has been given to us. This will be verses four through six. God comes into the picture as we read, but God, this is the intervention of God alone without any help of ours. Where we were once dead, God has made us alive through his showing mercy to someone who deserves his wrath because of his great love. God knows who will receive mercy and compassion, Romans nine fifteen through 16 reads, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. God's mercy is not giving because anything we have done, but because of his great love. The love verse that comes to mind when most people think of God's love is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Charles Spurgeon, quoting love, he was quoting John fifteen, thirteen. His quote says, But greater love a man May have than to lay down his life for his friend. Namely, if he dies for his enemies. And herein is the greatness of Jesus' love. That though he called us friends, the friendship was all on his side at the first. He called us friends, but our hearts called him enemy. We see this as we read verse 5. Even when we are dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul is reiterating verse 1 and turns the from you to we. Paul, was, he was relating with his audience in Ephesus and sharing that he too was a sinner before God. As we continue, we read our first of three instances where we see with Christ. Here we read, made us alive together with Christ There are multiple views of this passage. One view is that we're reading of a future resurrection of our physical body, and another is that we are made alive spiritually as a believer in Christ. For this context of the passage, this is where I stand, but at the same time, I'm open to discuss it to to better grow in my belief. Our spiritual birth allows us to understand our sinfulness and change. We read then, by grace... You have been saved. It is solely by the grace of God that we have been saved. The gracious act given to sinners who deserve nothing more than the wrath of God, as we learned earlier. We now see the next two with Christ comments, statements in uh, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we read raised up with him, it is teaching of our spiritual resurrection or a connection with Christ's resurrection. The examples in my studies show God died physically. We were dead spiritually. God was resurrected physically and we were resurrected spiritually. The last with Christ we read of being seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus. This is a picture of us in relationship to God and receiving the power to overcome sin and death. In Christ, believers are still in the world, but we are not of the world. Our home is in the heavenly places. And lastly, my last point is the purpose of our gift of grace. That is verses 7 through 10. In verses 7, 9, and 10, We read, so that, the so that in verse 7 is the so that, and so the coming ages can see the magnitude of his grace towards sinners, showing his loving kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We see the multiplication of those who share the gospel. Christ's good news was given before us and will be given after us. The kindness that we are graciously given by Christ is the gift of our salvation. Verse 8 begins with 4. When Paul uses 4, it further explains the previous verse. Here we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The grace we received and the faith we received, we have are both gifts of God and not of us, or anything that we could have done to earn them. Acts 3.16 teaches, And on the basis of faith in his name is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which is through him has given him the perfect health and the presence of you all. Verse 9 emphasizes our gift of grace is not of works, so that no one may boast. Other religions cannot grasp this text. Catholics believe that you were saved by Christ plus works. But reading the passage, we know that there is nothing we can do for our salvation. Therefore, since salvation is not from ourselves, we have no right to boast or have a high view of self. As we go to verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. We are a new creation in Christ, as we read in Ephesians four twenty-four, And to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and of the truth. For good works is not teaching of what we must do for salvation, but is the result of Christ's workmanship, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God provides a way for us as believers to be used for God and for His glory. Our works are an evidence of our salvation and not a means of our salvation. So I'm going to take this to our application. What must we do with what has been taught? First thing, do not be silent about your faith. Matthew 28, 18-20 We'll read again. It is that important. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be as though who Paul gives thanksgiving for in Colossae, Colossians 1, 3 through 6. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and multiplying. Just as it has been doing in you, I'm sorry, just as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth. It is a love for man to share the gospel with him, but even more so, it is a desire that comes from your relationship with Christ. We see this lived out in our ministry partners here at church. The six that we support, they go out. They go out not for themselves, it's not a vacation to them, but they go out to to share the gospel, they go out to teach, they go out to edify, they go out to make disciples. We had Tim Carnes here almost a month ago now, or three weeks ago. His desire is to train pastors. Is it to train pastors to train pastors or is it to send them out? And to know the area that they are in, they can die. For their desire to teach, yet they travel to Him and get sent out. They have their bunkers that are underground churches to share the truth of God's Word. So even more so, we should have that boldness to teach the truth in our neighborhoods. Secondly, live a life of humility, knowing we have nothing of ourselves to boast other than the work that the Lord has done for us and through us. Thus remember Ephesians 2. Eight through nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Finally, live a life of worship and praise to God. Do not allow yourselves to be distracted by temporal things of this world. Examine yourself. Are you living in the lust of the things of your flesh? Where is your time spent? What keeps you from your time in the Word? Is it your games? Is it your phones? Is it your friends? Is it your hobbies? Does this world and what it offers brings excitement to you? Do matters of the world matter more than going to your Bible and studying the things of God? In answering honestly, were any of your answers yes? If you were a believer your response should be to repent. And if you're unsure of your faith, Romans 6, 23 reminds us that while you were dead in your, trespass, in your trespasses and sin, the wages of sin is death. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, free from the sin of man, who died on the cross, was buried and three days later rose again in resurrection to take the wrath that was deserved for them. He did this for His chosen people who will come to believe and have faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you have questions about this, please reach out to your leaders. Please come to me. This is something that we cannot take lightly. It's the Word of God and it's serious. So I would like to leave you with a, a close of prayer from Ephesians three fourteen through twenty one. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being firmly rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory and the search in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this time. We thank You that You have allowed us to come together in Your Word. Lord, I pray that it it, it does the work of that You require of us, Lord, that it, it gives us that desire to, to go out, Lord. It gives us that desire to to not be quiet in our faith, Lord. Your gospel is meant to be heard. Your gospel is meant to be proclaimed, Lord. Give us that boldness of Paul to go out, Lord. Give us that mindset to be to be eternity-focused, Lord, and not set on the ways of this world. Lord, I pray that you strengthen each one of us, Lord, strengthen our relationship with you, where if there is an area that we are faltering, Lord, pick us up from that, Lord. We, we repent of these sins, Lord, that, that are keeping us from you, Lord. We, we pray that you guide us in your will and not ours. So, Lord, as we continue this day, as we continue in preparation for communion, Lord, I pray that we have this time to, to seek our heart, Lord, to, to see where we are falling short in preparation for that, Lord. So be with us at this time. And these things we pray through your son's holy and precious name. Amen.